direct from Fort Meade, Maryland, this is Dinfos Live. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Dinfos Live. I'm your host, Lieutenant Commander Kate Sheeran, a Defense Information School instructor. On this month's episode, we'll be speaking to instructors from the Intermediate Photojournalism course to talk to us about next level photojournalism techniques you can use to step up your storytelling capabilities. So let's welcome them to the program. U.S. Air Force Tech Sergeant Christine Greening. Ma'am. Hi. Nice welcome to, to the program. Thank you. And Mr. Thomas Lamb. Hi. Welcome nice to the to program. You. All right, guys, welcome. Great to have you here. Good to be here. And again, if you're out there watching our show and have any questions for our guests, don't hesitate to leave them in the comments below and we might just read them on the air. Okay, let's get started with the show. Before we start, could you please introduce yourselves? So I'm Tech Sergeant Christine Greening. Um, I've been in the Air Force for about 12 years and an instructor uh, at DINFOS for about a year. Awesome. Great to have you on the show. Thanks. Mr. Lamb. And I'm Tom Lamb. I've been in the Army uh, Guard for about nine years, and I've been an instructor at DINFOS for about six months as a civilian. Awesome. Great to have you on the show. Thank you. So to get started, what is human-centered design? So human-centered design is a way that we can organize our stories to put people first. Uh, when we focus on a person instead of the what or the when of a, of a particular news peg, the story, we can uh, focus on their emotions and help them, help our audience connect to our story by putting that person in the center. It allows us to uh, kind of divide our stories into two different sections. We have human interest and personality. Got it. Can you give me an example of human-centered design that you've seen recently or in pop culture? Sure. Over Memorial Day weekend, uh, you might have seen a lot of articles about events going on in your community. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly. Certainly, right? And the, the why of it all is it's Memorial Day weekend, we're honoring fallen warriors. But uh, we can come in and focus on one person's particular experience with fallen warriors. Uh, and how Memorial Day affects them while still acknowledging that the event is happening in your community. It allows you to uh, put a person at the center of the event and kind of capture a broader con uh, concept. Mm -hmm. yes. That makes sense. And I feel like I just saw that last weekend. So mm -hmm. thank you for the, making the connection for me. Next question is, what is the difference between human interest and personality? So we'll go into human interest really quick. Um, it's really just uh, how, what kind of topic are people interested in? What brings people together? Um, so some sort of like uh, examples could be um, occupation, hobbies, uh, and then some key words to keep in mind are like the we, us, they, mm -hmm. uh, them. Um, so we do have a, uh, an example we would like to share from our last um, class. Um, it's more about um, sheep and wool making. Um, yeah, so we'll just pop it up and take a look. Sounds great. Let's yeah. check it out. Uh, 
a sheep, you know, probably to call someone a sheep would be a derogatory term. But uh, unlike a goat, which all a goat wants to do is jump on the hood of your car, you know, or eat your flower bed. But the sheep is a more docile animal, I think, and they lend themselves to, to a much simpler way of handling. Wool is an amazing product because it's totally renewable. Those sheep are going to grow it every year for you. And once it's been processed, it has um, strength, it has warmth, it has, and depending on the breed of sheep, it has softness. Wool is a fiber that can be very versatile, and depending on how soft or how coarse it is, um, it can be used for apparel that's worn next to the skin. It can be used for carpets. It can be used for mattresses. And there's even some companies that are using wool for mulch. The problem right now is that wool is being overlooked and the price of wool has just tanked and it usually costs a, a farmer more money to shear a sheep than what he's gonna get for the wool. Uh, because people aren't using wool as much. They're using um, artificial uh, fibers. So obviously, we've talked about the wool, um, but sheep are a very multi-purpose self-sufficiency animal. Someone said to me a long time ago that a sheep is a survival kit, and that really resonates with me. It means the sheep provides clothing for me. It feeds me meat, milk, cheese and the sheep enriches the soil it does not take away but it enriches the land unlike a cow who is much more um, hard on the land to, to me to be a good shepherd of course you got to pay the bills and feed them hay and grain but you've got to have a watchful eye you need to look and make sure i count them like i said i count them every day and do I have all the lambs? And is everybody coming forward? Is everybody feeling okay? You just, you know, it's just, it's just part of what you do. You're looking after your flock. You do think about the destiny of your animals and you try to give them the best life you can. And I certainly have had to learn to make important decisions. You know, I don't know, I talk, I see those sheep every day. And yes, indeed, some of the sheep go for meat, but they go to pay the bills for the rest of the flock. I mean, I, I you know, I, I always used to tell my students, if you don't have a parrot or a turtle, you're going to have to make a life decision for your animal because you are going to, luckily, or hopefully, outlive it. And you must consider their destiny from, you know, it, it should be in your mind and how that's, how that's gonna play out in the kind of life that you provide for them. Well, that certainly, well, that certainly was well worth it. Anything you wanna point out from the video? So I forgot to mention that um, Senior Airman Hastings uh, produced this video. He spent such a long time um, with these subjects and it really shows. Um, getting to know uh, the two individuals and their, um, you know, how they 
put wool together, how they do, uh, how they impact the community. So um, yeah, he did a really great job. Um, and that's just one of the different stories we uh, kind of produce in, uh, at the IPC. The other, the other story we kind of focus on is the personality feature. And this is more a story about an individual and their worldview instead of their relationship to something uh, outside of them. So uh, we have another example we'd like to show called The Reptile Man by uh, Staff Sergeant Avalon. And uh, if we could roll that, we can take a look. Awesome. Let's check it out. Within the top 10 fears people have, well, one of them is public speaking. The other is the fear of snakes. And somehow I ended up combining both of those. I started doing my talks in the early 1970s when it was largely just fear. The audiences were just very apprehensive. I hate snakes, Shock! I hate them! Come on, show a little backbone, will ya? But now the reception that I get everywhere I go uh, is truly amazing. I mean, kids today seem to know more about the natural world than any other generation. When I'm giving my talks and kids are ending my sentences, seeing the kids so engaged, seeing them so interested, gives me great hope. I don't want kids to finish seeing a program and then wanting to go out and catch snakes. It's a deeper appreciation for them and the simple idea that most kinds of snakes, depending on where you live, are very uh, harmless. I mean, I love my reptiles, but they don't love me. And I always miss them, but they never miss me. And I'm always glad to see them, but they're indifferent to seeing me. <laughs> what I get from them is the interest I have in them, in their beauty, in their patterns, their designs, their textures. But uh, certainly many people uh, have a fear of snakes. And I think it's largely because they've never had an opportunity to really learn about them. And most of the time, I think when we find a snake, we're not looking for one. You know, I don't know where you draw the line between fear and respect. When people don't want to enjoy the outdoors because of their fear of snakes, yeah, I think a deep, deep fear of anything is, is unfortunate, you know. If we can see reptiles in a different light, in a better light, there's a greater hope for people. So that uh, story shows his views on fear and love and hope and uh, his, his life working with reptiles. It very easily could have been a story about reptiles as a whole, right? And the art of like hosting reptile shows or giving educational talks, but instead uh, Staff Sergeant Avalone focused on his personality and how he interacts with the world around him. And that, that kind of uh, changes between a human interest and a personality based on how you approach your subjects. Makes sense. Yep. And I'm so impressed that your students created those videos. Those are really impressive. Thank you. My next question is, how do you approach your subject when you want to find that story? How do you go about that? 
So we generally tell students, um, go to places where there are people. Go to places that you're interested in. Uh, what are some of your hobbies? Um, and at that point, you've got some talking points in the back of your head of, um, you know, how can I approach this person? Uh, what, what can I talk to them about? And introduce yourself. Be forthright with them on um, what you're there for. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm a student, I'm here to cover um, this assignment, um, or whatever the case, um, and just be honest with them. That makes them feel more comfortable, um, makes you more approachable. Um, and then uh, an another uh, aspect is uh, if you're out on the street, um, how are you going to approach a subject um, that, like, what is, what is something that is intriguing to you about one person? Is it the clothing that they're wearing? Is it a tattoo on them that, you know, looks interesting? Create some conversation um, that way uh, just to find your stories and, and your subjects. Got anything else? No. no? Okay. Makes sense. Yep. Introduce yourself and make that connection and then go from there. Yeah. Awesome. So how do you prepare for a shoot? How do you instruct your students to prepare for a shoot? There's a ton of planning that goes into uh, producing a video or a photo story and writing uh, like we saw uh, earlier, right? So the biggest thing is uh, in your pre-planning, you have to know what story you're trying to tell, mm -hmm. uh, know what story your subject can tell, and know what you need to capture in order to show that story. Uh, we can organize all this through a... Uh, a form we call the beat sheet. Like the beat how, sheet. Yeah, beat okay. sheet. Uh, <laughs> we have different, different acts of a play, different chapters of a book will mm -hmm. go over different topics, right? Uh, and different beats of the story can be captured even in these small, small pieces. And we use the beat sheet to organize those. It, it helps us find questions that we want to ask, uh, visuals that we want to capture, and really hone in on the focus of our story and what our subject can offer. Awesome. Sounds like the beat sheet is a great tool. So my follow-up question is, what if you don't use the beat, sheet, the beat sheet and you're not prepared for a shoot? What happens then? Uh, so really, you're just walking into... Um, not being prepared, you're mm -hmm. wasting your subject's time, your own time. That beat sheet definitely helps hone in a focus. Um, and so having that focus will save you that time. But yeah, not being prepared is detrimental to building relationships and saving you time. The, the preparation can uh, dramatically reduce the workload right. that you have to do too. Mm -hmm. Like if I go into a, a shoot without a focus, I might be shooting stuff that I don't need and won't use in the edit, wasting my time. Or I could, uh, worse than having too much material is not having enough, right? Uh, not shooting something that you need or not asking a question you need a soundbite for to tie your story together because you weren't focused before you went out to the shoot can really impact the quality of the product. Makes sense. You gotta mm -hmm. do that research, that planning, and have the beat sheet. My next question is about shot variety. How do you create shot variety? So um, research beforehand. Uh, have an idea. I know for me, I look at divids uh, first. I create a shot list, and we, we give our students um, an idea of what the shot list is. 
uh, find your close-ups, overalls, uh, you know, um, tight expressive faces. That shot list will help you produce visual variety um, as well as, uh, you know, change up your, uh, your lenses. I know for me what works is I'll have two different camera bodies with two different lenses um, and kind of shoot from there. Capture what I want off of my shot list first and then kind of play at that point. Um, different angles, perspectives, uh, definitely helps with um, your visual variety. Yeah, and in addition to that, uh, different compositional techniques using the rule of thirds or uh, increasing or decreasing your depth of field. Yeah. Uh, you can take one one subject and make a lot of different uh, images that have visual variety from that single subject, like we saw with the the corn snake. Mm -hmm. Yes, from the reptile man video. Yeah. So our next question is from social media. What type of cameras do Dinfo students use, and do you have any equipment recommendations? So our students use Nikon Z six twos with some Z-mount and some F-mount adapted lenses. Uh, they also have access to a wide variety of uh, action cameras from our student issue point or additional lenses that might not be in their kit. Uh, we give them full access to a lot of microphones, gimbals, uh, really whatever they think they might need in order to be successful in the shoot, they can probably get uh, around Infos. It's, uh, a beggar's market, right? <laughs> Great place to learn, absolutely. Yeah. Do you have anything to add on that one? Um, I really like using my speed light. Mm -hmm. So I know a lot of people are into just natural light, like that's their go-to, but you know, having that speed light, playing with it off camera um, will really help with uh, adding some dimension or a, like a different outlook um, to your photos. So you've got the, if you've got the equipment, you might as well use it, learn how to use it. Yeah. There's tutorials online. So yeah, do some research beforehand and play, play a Excellent. lot. Excellent. Yeah. Sounds like a plan. So our next question is also from social media. Kenneth Alston is asking, can you recommend any books to improve a photojournalist skill set? Do you have any book recommendations? I recently picked up a book called... Uh, uh, picturing people. It's uh, all about portraiture and uh, different types of portraiture and how to, you know, build rapport with subjects that I found very interesting. Uh, I more so use a lot of online resources than physical books or online books. I know in the beginning of our course, like the first few days, we talk about Dave LaBelle. Mm. Um, he has the great, I think it's the great picture hunt and the great picture hunt too. And he really talks about like building connections with your subjects, uh, waiting for moments, um, looking for humor um, or, you know, different types of messaging. Um, how can you tell a story within a photo? So uh, I would definitely check out those books. Um, they're pretty valuable. And yeah, we, we have our students take a look at them and they found them to be useful. Great. Yep. Thank you for the recommendations. Mm -hmm. My next question is about lighting. How important is lighting to your photos? So important. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, lighting is one of the, 
a picture is the process of capturing available light, or uh, you can use additional light sources like flash or strobes in order to uh, add light to a scene. The lights that we, the lighting situation that you decide to use for any particular picture can um, modify the mood and the intent of that, that shot. Having neutral lighting, it looks very commercial and clean, whereas mm -hmm. having a single strobe or a single spotlight on a subject might in, uh, provide a more moody, kind of dark vibe to a photo. Certainly. And you can use natural lighting as well and using those modifiers that um, Mr. Liam talked about. So um, thinking about when you're out on um, location, what can I use around me um, that will uh, enhance my photo? Uh, so like walls, a white wall. You could bounce uh, the light off of that wall with your flash. Um, you could use a piece of paper to diffuse light. Like get creative and you can find like these resources or ideas on like say Pinterest. I know I look um, up those ideas all the time on there, um, just for some ideas uh, of how I can get creative with my lighting. Certainly okay. lots yep. of inspiration out there. Yep. And I'd say we have pretty good lighting in the studio today, mm -hmm. so yeah. that's good. So my next question is about portraiture. Why is portraiture important in photojournalism? We've been taking pictures and portraits of people since the inception of photography and painting them much, much longer than that, right? And uh, a portrait it being specifically posed is something that a lot of photojournalists might not be comfortable taking, but it provides a lot of benefits. Uh, when you have the control of the scene and control of your subject, you can uh, elicit different emotions out of them based on how they're standing, posing. Uh, you can capture different parts of their environment that might not necessarily be next to each other in any given shot that you would take in uncontrolled action photography. So portraiture really helps you uh, tie together a story and provide a closer view of your subject and get more into their head. And we uh, teach our students more about like environmental portraits. So what can we uh, tell our viewer about this person based on what's around them? Are we talk If we're talking about a painter, should we be putting them in a paint studio or like a barista in the coffee shop. Um, and they're intentionally posed as well. So uh, even the use of props can be beneficial um, when telling a story about that person, achievements, uh, things they're overcoming. Um, so keeping those in mind um, when it comes to uh, taking portraits. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me of what you both said about how important it is to do your research and to create that interpersonal relationship in right. the beginning. So we have another social media question from Kenneth Alston. So what are the differences between shooting for a publication versus taking uh, shots for social media? When shooting for a publication, uh, the biggest thing in my head is the, um, the dimensions of your photos. You're really constrained in your crop sizes mm -hmm. and you're really constrained in the number of images you can post because every image takes up a certain amount of uh, space on your page. Uh, in contrast, in social media, you can uh, make your image whatever size you want. People can click and zoom in and really get into that image if they want to. They can, you can edit more um, aggressively, I guess, 
on social media, not that you're supposed to in military photojournalism, but as a whole, uh, you can edit a little more aggressively and uh, have it have the same picture in different uh, in grayscale and color, uh, different lights in order to uh, enhance the the scene. I don't know. I kind of feel like you can use uh, capture um, a feature photo um, for both social media and a publication. Um, what is the story you're trying to tell? What are you trying to pull the viewer in to want to learn about? Um, so I kind of feel like they go hand in hand. Awesome. Yeah. We've got another social media question coming in. The question is, what programs do you use to edit your videos? And how do you teach your students how to edit? We use uh, Premiere Pro. Uh, and most of our students are coming in because our course is an intermediate photojournalism course. They have prior experience doing mm -hmm. photo and video work. Uh, so the video editing software of choice is uh, Premiere Pro for us. I, I personally use CapCut and Premiere Rush and uh, DaVinci Resolve on the side. Cool. But I think uh, Premiere Pro is the, the best one. The go-to. Yeah. Go-to. Yep. Got it. So going back to storytelling, how do you write better stories? Uh, so we teach our students how to uh, show versus tell. So show me the environment um, or the location um, that you're writing about. Uh, think of um, the five senses. How can we implement that in our writing? Uh, what, what are we smelling in a restaurant? Mm -hmm. What are we hearing in a... Uh, uh, on the street, um, so kind of um, showing that with, for the reader. Uh, and then um, just think about uh, books you've read. What about those books did you like and how can you implement that sort of writing in your own writing? So we kind of give students a way to uh, play during um, their time in IPC, and we, we, we provide coaching um, uh, and that sort of thing. But yeah, it's, it's time to play, have ideas. It's a great time to practice uh, while going through the course. Yeah. Absolutely. Descriptive writing is yeah. really important. Yep. What goes into a effective photojournalism interview? So uh, imagine you're, you've already done your, your beat sheet, you've mm -hmm. done your pre-production, and that's really the most important part of any uh, photojournalism interview. Having a pre-interview before your actual interview allows you to zero in on your subject's um, personal story and what they're an expert and willing to talk about. So they're more prepared next time you come out and y'all can work together. Um, and then being genuinely um, interested helps. I think people are more open to, to talking a little bit more uh, and uh, having open-ended questions um, definitely helps as well because at that point, they're, I think that helps them uh, expand more on their thoughts uh, instead of yes or no. Um, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. 
Next question is, who inspires you? I am personally inspired uh, by Craig F. Walker. He's a, mm. a Denver photographer and Pulitzer Prize winner. He did a, a series for his 2009 Pulitzer Prize called uh, Ian Fisher, American Soldier, where he spent 27 months with a uh, man, Ian Fisher, from graduating high school all the way through his first deployment in Iraq, through drug and alcohol troubles, through relationship issues, through uh, you know, firefights and deployment. Uh, through that whole 27 months, his final gallery was 20 photos. Wow. So he spent all that time uh, embedded with this unit and uh, spending time in Ian's home. And that smaller section of photos really says that you can not not every time you go out and shoot you're going to come out with a great great shot he took the time he needed to tell the story he wanted to tell uh and then for me like i love to just peruse the the internet instagram uh pinterest same here for ideas <laughs> like yeah mm -hmm. so for me i i don't have one particular person in mind um yeah it's a lot of creative content out there. Yes, there certainly. is. All right, another social media question from Shane Bowler. Do you all prefer handheld video or do you put your camera on a tripod and lock it off, allowing the action to move through the frame? Really, when you use handheld video, uh, you can follow the action and that's, that's awesome. But mm. tripods are uh, the better, better solution. You know, spend spend a thousand dollars, get a good tripod, lock it off, and let everything happen before you. It's the difference between uh, fishing and hunting. When you're, <laughs> when you're doing when you're doing photography, you're you're hunting. You're uh, moving around and trying to get that moment. But if you're doing um, video, sorry, video, uh, you have to let the action happen in front of you uh, and predict where that action is going to be. I like that fishing versus hunting analogy. That's good. Any, do you have anything to add? No. Okay. So this is our last social media question. Ryan R. asks if you have any recommendations for self-study materials or any practice assignments that they can find online. So again, like I said, Pinterest <laughs> is great, um, but there is the Pavilion um, mm. website. Denfos Pavilion, uh, yep. yeah, great So tool. check that out. Uh, it's got a lot of um, uh, basics uh, to start with. Um, yeah, it's just a great tool. There's a lot as far as PA, photo, and video um, to start from there and then kind of go from there. I, yeah. I would also recommend yeah. using Pavilion. And more important than using, using Pavilion or online resources, going out and shooting. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. You can't learn photography without taking photos so mm -hmm. you can't learn photojournalism without doing it either mm -hmm. makes sense and shout out to pavilion All right so my final question for you guys is what would you like to add is there anything you'd like to summarize about being an instructor in ipc or uh, refocus on any of the topics that we've talked about so if you're going to be attending IPC in the future, I would say have an idea of what you want to shoot beforehand. Even make contacts um, before you make it here if you know you're attending the class. It'll make things so much easier um, in terms of uh, who you're going to be reaching out to, 
you can do some research before you even make it to class. Um, it'll be less stressful for you once you've, you've made it here. Uh, so that is paramount. Um, and then, uh, yeah, just be prepared. You're going to be talking to a lot of people. You're going to be getting out of your comfort zone. Uh, I know I a lot of us are introverts. <laughs> so, yeah, mm -hmm. be prepared for that. It'll be fun, but it'll be rewarding in the end. You'll learn a lot. Awesome. Yep. I'd just like to add, find your, find your inspiration where you can and uh, try to emulate that uh, until you're able to create your own style. Excellent. Thank you both. Thank you. Well, that concludes our show for this month. Remember, if you'd prefer to listen to our show rather than watch it, you can download it as a podcast by searching for Dinfos Live. I wanted to thank our guests for joining us today and also to thank all of you for hanging out with us. Look for the links we discussed today in our show notes, and we'll see you all next month.